You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. You notice I'm a little warm today. I was up on the roof having fun with Frank and Brother Rick. <laughs> um, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1 um, and a little bit of 2. And uh, I hope you're all not offended. We're going to read the Bible tonight. Um, and while you're all are turning there, I just wanted to uh, thank Pastor and uh, for giving me the opportunity to preach and to share what the Lord put on my heart. And I just want you to pray for Pastor while they're away. And it's supposed to be a time of rest. It's supposed to be vacation time. And, well, responsibilities sometimes still get in the way. But just pray that they do get a time of refreshment. Your pastor has a lot of responsibilities. And so just really be praying that they get that time of refreshment. They need that little time away to be together and just to be refreshed and come back at it anew. So uh, we're going to go ahead and I'll read down through. We'll, we'll start in chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read all the way down through chapter 2 and verse 12. Then I'll make my prayer and we'll get into the message. All right. <clears throat> and the Bible says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shusan, the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Verse 7. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commanded thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of, Ar of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? 
So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the king, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams of the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governor beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Hornite, and Tobiah the servant the Amorite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before thee this day, Lord, gathered again in your house as you have commanded, to read your word and to hear it and to understand it, Lord, to get the message that you would have to be heard and not what I would think. I pray that that would be the case. pray that you would remove me and it would be you that preaches the word and not I. I pray, Lord, that you would help our hearts to be open to what you would have for each of us individually and help our ears to be open and our eyes to be open so we might see your word and hear it. And I thank you for all that you do for us every day, Lord, for the great many blessings you pour upon us and for the opportunity to have your word, to study it and to read it and to learn it. Thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. So <clears throat> that's a lot of scripture, especially for a particular message I like to read scripture. Now, some of you may be familiar with um, the story of Nehemiah. Some of you may not. That's okay. Uh, the interesting thing is it's kind of a popular book uh, that a lot of people read and a lot of people study out. Uh, what I have found when I study scripture is many times I'll read a book and I'll think, oh, I know that story. And if I was to surmise the story so far or to tell somebody else, I'd say, well, the story's pretty easy. I mean, similarly, uh, uh, Nehemiah hears about the problems of the Jews that are left behind in this city. And, and he is moved in his heart and he's weeping and he's asking God and he's praying certain days and fasting certain days. And then, you know, he's kind of maybe caught up in the moment and is sad in front of the king. And suddenly the king asks him kind of out of nowhere. And Nehemiah is like, well, uh, why shouldn't I be sad and not really understanding what's going on? on and Nehemiah kind of gets caught up in this moment and these things happen. The next thing you know, man, he is on his way and he's asking for things. Oh, yeah, I'm going to need this and I'm going to need that. And God sends him along the way. But there's kind of a problem. See, when you read scripture and you study it, even though maybe you know the story, you should really go back and read it again and really slow down and start asking yourself, Lord, what do you want me to learn? You might come to a point in a piece of scripture where you might ask some questions something that might trip you up, something that might cause you to go, hmm, I don't know, is really? I don't, I don't really, I'm not really sure about that particular thing. How can that be? It's okay to ask God questions. It's okay when you read scripture. You don't have to pray beforehand, then read scripture, maybe pray after. There's no order. You can stop in the middle, literally stop on something and just pray, God, help me to understand what you're trying to tell me right here. Because when I came to this piece of scripture where I stopped, I found something very interesting. 
And he said, Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. That's interesting, Nehemiah. You're right. <clears throat> you didn't tell anybody else. As a matter of fact, if I read back through it, you didn't tell us either. Because I don't remember any particular point in the Bible where it says, Nehemiah, God said, I want you to go do this. Or the Lord said unto Nehemiah, I want you to go do this. Or Nehemiah heard the word of the Lord and was moved to go nowhere. But clearly it happened. Why? Because Nehemiah is telling me it did. And it says, my God had put into my heart. God initiated to Nehemiah. I want you to go do this, Nehemiah. I found that very interesting. So then I'm starting to think, did I miss something? Well, I'm going to go back. And I'm going to slow down this time. And I'm going to dig into that. And I'm going to ask some questions. And so if you go back in the very first chapter, let's start at verse 1. What does it say? The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Kislev. Okay. Now I know from experience there are no idle words in the Bible. So I started asking a question. Why did you bother to tell me that? See, if I read in the rest of Nehemiah, or in some, most of the rest of Nehemiah, it doesn't mention months, it doesn't mention that. But interestingly enough, you told me that. Why? Well, I don't know what month Kislev is. So now I'm intrigued. Now I want to know, right? So I go find out. It's, it's the ninth month. Okay, great. That, I don't know why I need to know that. So, but then you go down a little farther, and I read through there, and I start getting it, and I come to chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan. Nisan. Why, why did you tell me that? I, I don't know what month Nisan is. I'm going to go find out. Okay, I'm going to find out. What month is Nisan? Nisan is the first month. Now, wait a minute. If Kislev is the ninth month and Nisan is in the first month, that means there's four months time difference between the first and second chapter. You know, this idea I had about how the events went that might not be exactly as I thought they went. So I started thinking about that. See, again, Nehemiah tells me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. I can't tell you exactly when that happened, but I got about a four-month period, I'm pretty sure, when it happened in. And I'm pretty sure that it's interesting to me that Nehemiah didn't just suddenly do it. See, a lot of times in Christianity, the problem is when we summarize that way, we think we're living a Christian life, and we think, guess what? All we got to do is just live the Christian life. We'll wait around. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the job. I'm coming to church. I'm reading my Bible. And someday, there's going to be a thing that happens, and suddenly, that's when God's going to ask me to do something. Well, I can tell you personally from ministry experience, that's not how it works. It's more like this. It's more like God gives you something, and then you start chewing on it for a while. Nehemiah chewed on what God wanted him to do for four months. I know that because there's some interesting things that also led me to that. But I want to get to my first point. So that really brought it to me to ask this question, and that's this. Has God put something on your heart? Because he certainly put something on Nehemiah's heart. And it took him four months to figure out if he was really going to do it or not. And he had to argue. And moreover, would you accept it if God did? Now, from my own personal experience, I know it took a lot longer than four months, so let's not beat up Nehemiah too bad. Because the Lord was chewing on me for a long time, and I was like, no, I can't, you know. I had a lot of excuses. I had a lot of arguments. And I didn't think it was really going to happen, but it did. So then this led me to think about some other things. Hmm. See, before I thought Nehemiah just got caught up in the moment. I thought Nehemiah was just sad. But when I go back and I look at chapter 2 and verse 1, it tells me, Nigh had not been before time sad in his presence. 
You mean to tell me, Nehemiah, for four months you showed up every day in front of the king because you're a cupbearer. You don't get a day off. You never, ever, ever were sad. For four months you prayed. For four months you wept. You sat down and fasted the entire time. And you were sitting there weeping and mourning for four months. And you were never sad. Nothing on your face. Until one day, you did. Okay. I got another question, Nehemiah. What changed? What changed to cause you to be sad? Because for four months you were doing pretty good. So what, what was the difference? I can tell you the difference. Neither told I, any man, what my God had put on my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nehemiah made a decision. I'm going to do what you want me to do, Lord. Okay, fine. I'll do, I'll do it. But it took four months of an argument. And I can understand that. Now, when you think about that and you consider that, and I look back at the story... Suddenly, the story takes on a little bit of a different turn, doesn't it? So I understand now that Nehemiah has made a conscious decision to be sad in front of the king. This suddenly changed. And I imagine over those four months, his argument was probably like, this can't happen. You know, I want you to go do this in Jerusalem, Nehemiah. No, this can't happen, Lord. You don't understand. I'm a cupbearer. I can't just leave like the king won't let me. I, I can't do that. And, you know, Lord, it probably went something like, well, I, I don't have wood. And, and not only that, they, they don't have wood and they don't have money and I don't have money. So I can't even get wood, Lord. As a matter of fact, I'd have to have Asaph give me wood because there's not enough. I don't know how to get it. And you know that Tobiah and Sanballat, they don't like the Jews at all. I couldn't even get there unless maybe the king gave me letters. And I got to tell you, that's never going to happen. Because, Lord, he, he'd practically have to be shamed into sending me. And, Lord, I can't even ask him. He'd have to ask me. So it's never going to happen. I know that argument because I made a pretty similar one, too. There's no way I can do this. I'm 40 years old. I don't like to get up in front of people. I don't even like to preach. I get hugely nervous, Lord. That's not me. That's not the guy. I'm not this guy. I tried it. I lost. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. So did Nehemiah. Praise the Lord for that. Nehemiah, somewhere along the line, decided he was going to do what the Lord wanted him to do. Now you say to me, well, how do you know that? Well, what if I told you I could point you to the exact moment that he did? See, it was a four-month period. I want you to go to chapter 1, and I want you to go to verse 11. This is the end of Nehemiah's prayer. And he says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. Stop. There's a colon there. Now, if you're not paying attention and you're reading over Scripture and you're just doing your Scripture reading to get through the day, you might just skip right over that colon. And you might say, well, the sentence then says, who desire to fear thy name and prosper. Oh, they, de- they desire to fear God's name and then prosper. That's not what it says. See, that colon is a distinction. It's a separation of thoughts. There are two different prayers here. Nehemiah is praying for the Jews who would love to worship the Lord and fear Him, as they righteously should do, like you fear your father or your parent. That's the end of that thought. Then Nehemiah starts praying for somebody else. And that somebody else is him. And he says, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant that this day. That's Nehemiah. Prosper and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What man is this? For I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah is asking for God to prosper him and grant him mercy in the sight of the king. This is not the prayer of a man who's saying, But Lord, if you just do something, if you just change something. No, no. This is the prayer of a man who says, Okay, I'm making a decision. I'm doing this, Lord. But if you don't deliver me, I'm in a lot of trouble. 
but I'm still going to do what you say I need to do. So, Christian, I've got to ask myself the question then. Am I willing to step out by faith despite all the impossibilities? Because there's no way Nehemiah knows how this is going to work. He has no concept of how I'm going to do all these things. They're still in the way. I'm still doing it. And somewhere along the line, the Lord said, you know what, Nehemiah? Just be sad. But Lord, there's all these people. Just be sad in front of the king. Just along the line, somewhere the argument was, why not you, Nehemiah? Why not you? Okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. But just be sad. Okay. And if I'm sad in front of the king, I could end up in jail. I could end up in prison or worse. Just be sad. So now when I start reading through that context of that second story, in the, or in that story in chapter 2, on the incident where it says, you know, in verse 2 of chapter 2, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing there are not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow in the heart. Then I was very sore afraid. Oh, what's happening, Lord? He's asking me. Oh, I'm really going to do this. See that, that verse 3, there's an interesting thing that happens there. He tells the king, right? What does he say? He doesn't tell him why he's sad. Well, he kind of does. But he says, said unto the king, let the king live forever. He's apparently learned, butter up the king before you give him some bad news, right? Then what does he say? Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste and the gates are consumed with fire? He's not talking about the Jews. Why bring up the place of my father's sepulchres? Because culturally, the Babylonian Empire is a shame-honor culture. So somewhere I'm going to assume, I'm going to grasp this, that guess what? There's probably some shame thing that comes by with allowing your father's grave sites to be open to banditry, to be open to grave robbers. They probably have something that says, listen, you need to honor the dead. They don't believe in God, but there's something there because Nehemiah is pointing it out. Now, Nehemiah, it's beyond his capability to do. I'm just a cupbearer. I'm stuck. Those Jews, they can't afford to do it. They can't fix it. The governor probably should because the problem with the shame honor society as you go up the reign of authority, when the people underneath you don't do what you're supposed to do, the authority above them is supposed to come correct them. Well, Sanballat and Tobiah, <clears throat> they're not going to fix it. They don't like the Jews at all. As a matter of fact, remember, the Jews are in reproach. So, king, it's your kingdom it's uh, your governor's. Mm-hmm. Guess whose responsibility it is. Notice Nehemiah never says that. He just tells them, this is the problem. If you notice the response, the king never addresses it. It's a kind of roundabout way to tell the king there's a problem. It's kind of your responsibility. But I'm not going to say that. You're going to say that. So we're both not in trouble. <laughs> I haven't insulted the king. I still live. Yay. All right. So, but what does the king say in response? Again, Artaxerxes is not an idiot. The king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? Okay, Nehemiah, I know how this game works. What do you want? What is Nehemiah's reply? What does it say? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Oh, he really asked me, Lord. Okay, I really did. I lived. We're doing this. I'm going to do it, Lord, if you don't deliver me right now. There is no way this is going to happen. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, there we are. Got to butter him up. But I'm asking him something really big, so I'm going to butter him up twice. And if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And say anything about the Jews again. Right? This is the problem, king. Now, if you've ever been in a leadership role, you'll find out over time that people will come to you with problems. They like to bring them to you. You're the leader. You're supposed to fix this here. The thing you rarely ever get is them to come with you with problems and a solution. 
you know, I've been thinking about this. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Nehemiah does the same thing. So you're the king. Okay, there's a problem. Okay, you want to fix it? All right, fine. Okay. So then there's a problem, though. And this kind of tripped me up, too, when I thought about how does this work when Nehemiah, if it's spur of the moment, right? I like to put myself in a situation. I like to see what they're saying. I like to see what they're doing. I like to wonder what is my reaction going to be. And I'm thinking, okay, that could probably still happen. But then the king asked him a question. The king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? Well, I had a problem then because I wouldn't have had an answer. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how long it takes to build a wall. I don't know how long the walls are or how big the walls are. I don't know any of those things. But interestingly enough, Nehemiah did have an answer. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. You know what that tells me? Nehemiah's been thinking about it. Nehemiah's been thinking about, okay, I'm really going to do this, Lord. You really remove these impossibilities. Well, then it's going to take about this long to build the walls, and it's going to take about this many men, and it's going to take about this much timber, and I'm... It's going to take all these things. Okay, it's going to be about this long. Guess who also knows? The king. This isn't his first wall building project probably. He's probably got a good idea how long it takes. So Nehemiah, you better have a good answer. You better not just shooting off at the hip and saying, I don't know, five or six months. Nope, straight to jail. That's what's going to happen. But Nehemiah has a good answer. And it pleases the king, right? That's what it said. So it pleased the king to send me. Nehemiah, you did your homework. All right, good. He didn't just come to me with a maybe solution and fill in the gaps as you go. It's not what you want to see. But Nehemiah had an answer. So Christian. I guess my second point here, I might have probably stepped over that, but it was simply this. Will you step out beside all the impossibilities, despite all the impossibilities? Nehemiah did. He let God put something in his heart. He accepted it. And despite all the impossibilities, and he didn't know, he still stepped out. And thirdly, have you considered what it would take to be successful? Have you ever spent some time if the Lord has put something on your heart and just, <laughs> I can't do that, but, you know, I, I mean, you'd have to remove this, but what do you know? What does success look like? If you really want me to do that, Lord, why I'd have to this, I did that. There was a time when I was come, getting ready to come out here, and there was, oh, let's see, the lease is going to end this time, it's going to tell you I need a truck, I'm going to have to find some place to live, you know, oh, that's going to be terrible, and I'm going to have to have this, this, and this. And there were still impossibilities in the way. There were still problems that I could not solve. And God had to remove those impossibilities. But I was still planning. What does it really look like? What does success look like? Okay, I did my due diligence. And I think the Lord really re rewards that. But there was one other question that then started popping up in my brain. Because I like to ask questions. And that was the problem with Nehemiah. I knew how long it took to build a wall. Okay, Nehemiah, I got a problem. Here's my question, Nehemiah. How do, you, how do you know how long it takes to build a wall? You're a cupbearer. Where did you learn that? You know what I mean? It takes this many men, this much wood. You knew to ask for wood. You knew to ask for safe passage. You knew to how long to give the answer to the king. Where did you learn this? You're a cupbearer. This is Middle Eastern time period. You don't just go and decide. You're not just having a career change. You know, last week I felt like being a blacksmith. But this week I think I'll be a wall builder. Next week I'm going to be a cupbearer. No. You usually got into whatever trade you had for life, maybe even generations. So how does Nehemiah know how to build a wall? I started examining, started thinking about it, started praying about it. What does Nehemiah do? He's a cupbearer. What does that mean? 
That means every time that Kingy says, I'm thirsty, here comes Nehemiah running with the cup. You want this? That's great. Here you go. He might have to taste test it. Well, when you think about fasting, that had to be really hard. Might have to taste his food. That had to be even more. It tells me about Nehemiah's commitment. But it also tells me this. Wherever the king is, that's where Nehemiah is. Because king could get thirsty at any time. You're at dinner. Maybe that's how he knew about Sanballat and Tobiah. You're sitting there, though, managing your kingdom. And where's Nehemiah? Back here. Sitting here like this, just waiting. King is over here doing his thing. Nehemiah is shutting his mouth. And the entire time what is happening over here is there are people coming to the king. I got this problem. The walls of this city are torn down. I need this many men. I need this much timber. It's going to take this long. There were certain people who said the right things and the king gave them. There were certain people who probably said the wrong things and they didn't have a great result. And the entire time, Nehemiah is standing over here doing nothing, being a cupbearer, and he's learning all about how to build walls. Okay, Christian, i got to ask myself then. Have I considered where God has placed me? Have I considered what skills that I have that God has directly left me in some place to know? I never know how God's going to use them. Now, before this, I did IT, and I spent about eight years doing it. I have yet to figure out how exactly I'm going to take these enterprise-level skills and use them in the church. But maybe there'll be an opportunity. <laughs> I don't know. But it does cross my mind. I think about those things and I can watch this. Now here's the last thing I want you to think about. And I want you to be encouraged by this. All despite the fact that Nehemiah had to step out on faith, he had no idea how those impossibilities were going to be removed. He put in the time of the homework. He had to consider what he learned. God never called Nehemiah to failure. Nehemiah had no idea how it was going to work. If you read the rest of the story, Nehemiah is successful at building the wall. Amen. So if God is challenging you in your heart to do something, to step out by faith, maybe you don't think you can. Well, that's not me, Lord. I, I can never get up here and preach. You can make that argument. You might lose. <clears throat> I did. Um, you know, I, have you considered those things? Have you considered what it is that maybe the Lord's asking you to do? Have you thought about putting in the homework? Well, okay, Lord, but if I, if I really did run a Sunday school class, or if I was a, an usher, or if maybe if I was a door greeter, what, what do I need to do to be successful in that? Because I don't know what the Lord's going to ask you. I can only tell you what the Lord's going to ask me. But I can tell you this, and this is the last question I have for you, the last thing I want you to think about. As I pay attention and read this, it's heavy on my heart, but I can tell you this. It very, very much hits home. Because in our day and age, in our country, and around the world, I can tell you this, the walls are torn down, Christian. And there's a particular group of individuals, a particular group of people who are in great affliction, some in greater in certain places, some not so much. But they're seen as a reproach. And those people are us. So, Christian, my final question for you is this. What month are you in? What month are you in? Maybe you don't know. Maybe we could go ahead and stand to our feet. And we'll, uh, we'll have, have a moment of invitation. And maybe you want to think about what the Lord has maybe put on your heart to do. I don't know what that is. So you go ahead and stand. We'll go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. If we could get the piano player to come up and play for us, please. <clears throat> maybe you need to think about coming down here and asking the Lord. Because I can't tell you what that's going to be. I can't tell you what those things are going to be. 
what the Lord has put on your heart, what the Lord is challenging you to do, where the Lord is challenging you to step out on faith. Maybe it's driving a bus. I don't know. Maybe it's sitting back there doing slides or doing the sound or giving of your time in whatever way you would have it to be, whatever way the Lord would have it to be. Why don't you come down here and ask the Lord what that would be? Maybe you just need to ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? Is there something I've really been putting off that I really haven't considered that I've really thought it's impossible, Lord? There's no way. Have you spent time considering what it would be? How it could be successful? What skills do you know? Just ask the Lord. Maybe you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior. You could start there today. Does it require just a small step out of faith from a seat down to an altar and ask the Lord? I'm a sinner, Lord, recognizing my condition. And I know I need a Savior. Just ask the Lord to be your Savior today. You're going to have to believe it in your heart, Christian. You're going to have to believe it in your heart, lost person. I pray if that would be the case, you'd come. for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.